All right. <coughs> Thanks, Morris. Oh, that was so sweet. Um, where's someone? Oh, that new song that you wrote. Oh, that's something on it, eh? That's wonderful. What a something. We must export that to other congregations. That's really something on that, Matt. Just wonderful. Um, so uh, it's really good to see you all this morning. Uh, those who don't know, I'm Mike. My name's Mike. Uh, Michael, I should say. And um, uh, we're in the midst of something like, uh, as a church at the moment, we're in the middle of a transition. And, you know, I mentioned last week when I was preaching, I said it's, it's more important that what we get saved into than what we get saved out of. It's an old quote from a guy called Dudley Daniel. And, you know, we know how important it is to get saved. And the Bible says when we get saved, we come out of the kingdom of darkness and we get transferred into his light. And, um, but it's actually, he said, it's more important what you get saved into. In other words, to be part of a, a healthy church. And I don't know if you ever remember this saying. I know we, as, as a family, we would say it. Uh, when I was young, I heard this saying a number of times, in, in, um, or at least in English. You, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Any of you heard that statement? It's like, oh, I'm stuck with this family now, you know? Like sometimes we wish we could change families or have a different surname or, you know, have different parents. You know, we all grew up sometimes feeling frustrated with our, with our biological families at times because they're always, you know, just working through things. And in, in a similar way, I say that when you come into God's kingdom and when God adds you into a local church, in, in some ways you can't choose your family. Actually, God adds you, and if God adds you and he knits you in, and you know that where you're supposed to be, let's say, is here in Josh Jen, Wellington AM, at least for the season, is like, you know that you're going to, God's yoked you here, and in a sense, your destiny is tied to the people around you. And it's such an important value of ours in the kingdom of God. Um, I think of a scripture in Ephesians 2, and it says, we, you and I, are being built together I think Peter says it like living stones, and we are being built to be a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And what I've loved about being a Christian, you know, over these years, I got saved when I was 17, didn't know anything about church life. And I thank God that I got saved into a healthy church, relatively healthy, where the leaders loved God. They weren't perfect. They had these weird, sometimes they would do these, you know, idiosyncratic things. Um, the pastor was a very very traditional man in many ways, but man, what a godly, godly leadership team, godly people, and in their own way, they loved the Lord, and I learned how to love God through the people of God, and I just want to encourage us this morning, you know, we are in the middle, and I just want to share a couple of things around actually signs of maturity, what does it mean to grow into maturity, but I just wanted to start off, this is more of a freebie, just I wanted to share with you off the back of, this is free, this isn't part of all right, it's not part of my preach. And, um, and just something that, like, do you know that, do you really believe that you are yoked with, with, with people in this church, that you are knitted together, you, you, you're like a stone that's, that's built with other people, or do you just consider that you come into a meeting and then you leave again? Because that is not the heart of God for church. The church is people knitted. We're a family. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. When you hear the testimonies of these students, it's like, God, thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives. I get impacted by that, and I'm changed by that. Even as we are in the middle of this thing, does that, I just wanted to share that with you. I want to ask you, is that real for you? Or do you come in, and, and, and I fear that for some of you that have been here, and even maybe you've coming, been coming for months and months and months, sometimes you treat us like a meeting and not like a spiritual family. And uh, friends, God, but when you give yourself, and I, I find anyway, I've had to actually posture my heart, where I've actually had to give myself, I've had to make a, make a voluntary decision, 
I'm going to give myself to this church. I'm going to give myself to the leaders. I'm going to submit under authority. And when you do that, it unlocks something of the blessing of God um, in a profound way. And um, I want to encourage you. Have you given yourself? Not because give, give yourself to us as we give ourselves to the Lord in a sense. And this is the way that we have lived out of Christianity. And it's a glorious, glorious thing. Um, I'm just carrying this on my heart for some of you um, this morning. So we, we're also in the middle of a transition. It's very exciting. I think most of you are aware of it. If you're not, I'll just share it. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But um, for a while now, I think it's probably for about a year, I've been sensing in my heart that God has wanted to shift me, my role in Wellington Congregation in terms of leading. So at the moment, I'm the lead elder. What does that mean? It doesn't mean I get special parking or have the leather seat on the, you know, where others carry my Bible, you know, and I, I wear the, you know, and, and I get special titles because I'm uh, the man of God. What that means, because I'm the lead elder, it means that I lead the leadership team or, and the eldership team that leads the church. And so I'm responsible in many ways to lead the leaders and to set direction uh, as we go and go in different places, as we move as a church. In a sense, I'm responsible along with the elders uh, to lead. And for about a year now, I've been sensing a shifting, a changing, that my role is changing. And um, I submitted it to Andrew that leads Josh Jen. And um, again, recently, and I felt, hey, I feel like the Lord is bringing some changes about in my own life, what he's calling me to. And Andrew agreed. He said, no, he also witnesses with it. And, um, and so what's going to be happening is I'm going to be shifting out of leading the congregation, and Morris will be, be, be picking up the leadership of that kind of point leadership of, of leading the, the elders and, le- and, leading with, and then leading the, the congregation forward. So I mean, it's, we spoke to the leaders about it last week. It's really exciting. Um, what's happening to, to Adi and I? Well, Adi and I are still here. We're not going anywhere. So you can't get rid of us that quickly. We're, we're like a rash you can't get rid of. We, um, <clears throat> so we are here to stay, but we will be traveling. We will be out more um, overseeing some of the Jostian congregations, teaching and training and, and just being involved in Jostian and 412 churches. I still will be leading. We've got a Bible school on campus or discipleship school, TMT. I still will be leading that. And so I'll still be involved in that, but we'll be traveling more. So uh, we won't be around as much. But, but that we just feel it's in the Lord. Interesting enough, there's been a number of like prophetic words just that have come out on that. Even something happened about three, four weeks ago. Jeff Kidwell, do any of you remember? How many of you were in that meeting when Jeff was here? Jeff Kidwell, um, he's, a, he's a veteran in the faith, an older man in the faith. He came to minister about three, four weeks ago. And he spent the morning praying for a lot of, the, you, know, a lot of you, prophesying, praying. And Adi and I had him around for lunch. And so he came around for lunch. And towards the end of lunch, I said to him, a bit tongue-in-cheek, I was being a bit naughty, I said, Jeff, you prayed for everyone else, what's my word? Where's my word? (laughs) What's the Lord saying to you for me? And we were in the middle of this transition where, um, actually, I'd only spoken to Andrew, no one was was actually aware of what was going on, where we were looking at shifting over for Morris to lead. And he said, like, oh, Mike, I'm tired. I'm sorry, man. It's been a long day. And I was like, no, it's fine. Man. Don't worry at all. It's, um, and we, we kind of carried on. And we had lunch, and then he, he went home. And then I, we spoke in the week. He, he phoned me, and he said, hey, Mike, um, then the news came out that we were transitioning and that Morris was taking over, and that was now news. And he said, you know, that, that Sunday, three weeks ago, when you asked me, Jeff, do you have a word for me? 
And I don't normally look for, I don't normally do that, but I just felt in the moment, let me ask him. And um, he said, you know, there was instantly a phrase came into his mind when he saw me, and he said, change of role, in you, change of role. And, um, and as, he, as he thought it, he was like, no, that's foolish, like, that doesn't make sense. And so he kind of just, he kept it to himself. And then after he says, oh, I was so foolish, I was, I was actually embarrassed to say something because it just didn't make sense to me, and so I didn't say it, what came to mind. But anyway, it's just so encouraging to hear what God is doing, and so then he shared it with me. And just to share it with you, I did share it with the, the deacons on the deacons group, is, man, it's just those are one of many signs just to say that the Lord has gone before us um, in the congregation, and he is doing a new thing, and it's changed the role for Morris and for Julie, and it's a change of role for, for AD and I. Uh, and we're very, very excited. So we want to ask you um, just to pray for us, give us grace. Next week, Sunday, please diarise us, is we're going to do the official handover next week. And so we're going to be praying in Morris, uh, along with Julie, into that role. And then Kim Muller will be coming through to praying in. Anna Ruin and Ina coming through from Paul as well. And just, it's going to be a celebration. Um, and so just make sure you're here next Sunday as we can celebrate together as a family. Amen. All right, God is good. All right, so. Oh. <laughs> Where's my mic? Here we go. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Um, I thought the mic was the water bottle for a second there. So, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to share a word with you. Um, because I do want to share, and it's, it's the last time I'm sharing with you as, as leading this, leading the congregation. Obviously, we'll be around, so we'll be ministering, you know, m- much into the future. But I did have something I wanted to share with you. And it's, in many ways, a simple word, but I trust there's some points that I want to bring out just to help you and encourage you in God and what I feel for us as a congregation. Um, I do want to say that with Mo leading um, is that I expect him to lead. And he will. He'll, he's got some dreams and things the Lord has put in his heart. And there probably will be some changes I mean, obviously, we, we, we said it, we've already, we're going in a direction in Josh Jen, those values stay the same. But if things change in terms of, you know, it's a style will change, please, I want to ask you, would you just give your heart to him? And even now, just in your heart to say, Mo, we give ourselves to you, man. We're going we're gonna to get behind you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to choose to get right behind you, what the Lord is doing. Because if you do that, that, that pleases the Lord when we have that attitude and that heart. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that next week. But, um, and so what I want to do is I want to share with you on signs of maturity. And I'd like to look at a couple of scriptures with you this morning. And, you know, the great goal of the faith, of the Christian faith, is that we would actually grow into maturity. That's Ephesians 4.13. It says that God has given gifts and apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists into the church to actually grow the church, equip the church, train the church, so that you could become mature in your faith. And it speaks about how we could attain to mature manhood, to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Do you know that your aim as a believer should be to grow up into maturity, into Jesus? And uh, there's a number of scriptures in the Bible that speak about this, to be mature. But sometimes we have a wrong idea of maturity. That when you think of someone, um, I know sometimes we use it, younger folk use it like, that's a mature individual. What they mean is that person's really just old. And, they, and they're kind of set in their ways, and they're cranky, and they kind of, you know, it's like, don't bother them, they mature, you know? And it's like, you know, they just, you know, they just, leave, you know, leave, just leave them alone. They've, they settle now, and they always talk about the good old days. 
oh, those were the days, you know, the glory days, and they seem to live their life in the past. Well, Christian maturity is nothing like that, okay? It's got nothing to do with that. Is that the word actually, and I want us just to look at a word, and I want to give you a couple of principles from some scriptures, is the word mature, when the Bible, the Greek word, speaks about maturity, it actually speaks about aiming for something and growing into something that from where you were, as if you're, you're journeying to somewhere where you will be. But the thing is, there's no finish line, at least not until Jesus comes back. And the word that gets used, teleos, it actually speaks of like a, an apple, that when it grows, we've got actually a little, we've got a lemon tree in our garden. We've got two lemon trees. And what have we got? A fig tree. What have we got? It's, hmm? Guava tree, that's it. Okay, some, some kind of fruit. And we've got this guava tree, and at the moment it's starting to bear guavas, and it's got a little fruit like this. But in a few months' time, those guavas are going to be ready to be, to be picked off the tree. And, and that's what the word means. It means from a little fruit, growing, 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 to become complete and whole, to become a big fruit. Or the language in the Bible is often from child to adult, where you are a child in the faith, and you're growing, 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 where you become an adult in the faith. And, um, and you know, the Bible uses a lot of those kind of words when it, ex it explains about maturity. And there's a scripture, we won't turn there, but in uh, Hebrews chapter 5, where the writer of Hebrews is kind of, not complaining, but he's grieving and he's, he's lamenting before the Hebrew Christians and he says, oh, that some of you would be teachers. It's like some of you should be so much more mature, he says. It's Hebrews chapter uh, 5, verse 12 to 14. You can just write it down. He says, oh, that you would, you would be so much further down the road, and, but we have to go back to the elementary truths. Many of you should be on meat, but you're on milk. You're still on your mother's milk. And these people had been saved for a number of years and he says, but you're like children, and you should become adults where you learn how to discern and eat the meat of the word. And you know, the, the challenge for us is that kind of language from a child through to an adult that gets used. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it's the same type of language that gets used in Ephesians 4, where, let's read it, Ephesians 4, 13 to 15, where it speaks of maturity. And it says this, it says, I won't read the, the, the verses up to that point. It just speaks about God giving these gifts to train us until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Okay, so it says we should all become men. It's not saying that the women should become men. It's not speaking about transgender or anything like that. It's simply speaking about this concept of becoming whole and complete in yourself to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, it says. Now you say, but hang on, Mike. Doesn't Jesus say we must be like children? So isn't the Bible contradicting itself here? Because Jesus said you must be like a child. But why here does Paul say you must not be like children? Because he said, why would he say that? And this is the thing, is that God would want us to be children in our faith, that in your trust towards him, we have childlike faith. And in many ways, that when we pray to God and when we trust God, like Michaela's testimony of, you know, just how God was challenging her to give up this work opportunity because she had to invest in, in the kingdom for that weekend. In a sense, it was a childlike faith. 
And, and that pleases God. And our faith, our trust should be childlike. It's like, yes, Lord, I'll do it, even if it doesn't make sense. But in our thinking, we should learn how to be mature. And Paul in another place says, in your thinking, don't be like children. Be mature. In other words, God wants us to learn how to discern what is true and what is false so that we won't be caught up in the world. And he says, don't be like children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So he's speaking about the way that we use our minds to love the Lord. By human cunning, by, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body is joined. I'm just going to stop there. Um, and so this idea, and so I want to give you kind of four signs this morning and things that, that some of them are obvious, but one or two that I just want to uh, focus on, um, is that the first thing, a sign of maturity, number one, is that we have to learn to discern between what is important and what is not. Um, and he says here that one of the signs of immaturity is that you're blown around by, by things that different waves and winds and teachings that come along, the flavor of the month, and you get pulled to this side and pulled to that side, and we actually don't focus on the main things. As a Christian, we are called to major on the majors. In other words, which is to focus on Christ. And there's a lot of stuff out there that, can, that even might have a place in its, in its uh, even certain teachings. But if we don't keep Jesus as the main thing, actually we get pulled from side to side. And, and when you mature, you learn to kind of pick up and discern what's really important and what you should actually avoid or what you shouldn't major on. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a number of examples. Um, points of doctrine. I find some of the students, I'm going to pick on the TMT students because they're young in the faith. Some of them are actually more mature than some of us because they've, you know, some of us are like, we've been saved for 50 years, you know, praise God, 50 years, but maybe we've gone around the same mountain 50 times, you know. It's like one year's growth. You just repeat yourself again and again. Some of these guys have been, you know, they may be, yeah, going on. And, and I think often we do have things to learn from them. But anyway, is that, but I find for many of the students, especially in their zeal, um, over the years, I've seen that they often focus on a certain doctrine, and they get stacked. No, we've got to focus on this doctrine. One of the ones is, you know, Calvinism and Arminianism. Like, can I lose my salvation? No, I can't lose my salvation. Or, you know, what is predestination? But they get, get so stuck there on the teachings of Calvin, for example, that they actually forget about Christ. I remember we had one student about five years ago. Man, he was just all about John Calvin. John Calvin has got the words of life. John Calvin, his doctrine. No, he didn't quite say that, of course, because, you know, you don't want to say that. That's... But he kind of said those kind of things. And I said, like, that's fine, but have you remembered Christ? And we can sometimes get waylaid by our favorite teaching. And we can make it something that actually it's not as important as maybe we think it is. I know one thing which is where we have to be careful of in learning to discern is things like modern affairs, medicines, vaccines. I mentioned vaccines because we spoke, we had a leaders meeting about this, where for some of us, we are majoring on vaccines, you know, where it's like all you want to talk about is what is the vaccine? What is it really? Is it going to lead us away from the Lord? And what it does, it becomes speculation and it becomes unhelpful where we major on things that while it might have its place, but ultimately we can actually lose sight of Jesus if we're not careful. Um, I'm not saying it's not worth talking about and having a view on those things, but ultimately, personally, my belief is 
Okay, I don't want to go there. We just have to be careful. We are not known as a church of like, oh, you guys are the pro-vaccine church or the anti-vaccine church or you guys are known as the, you know, like we, we set on it. No, no, no. We are a church that's known for, we, we hold to all the truths of the faith and we hold to it properly in the Lord. And, um, and let's make sure that we, we, we learn how to, how to nuance things. And that's why I love the body of Jesus because often you've got, men and women that can actually hold you to account and say, you know what, you're getting a little bit skewed now, come back. You know, you, you're going down a rabbit trail, come back. Um, do you understand what I'm talking about? Um, and I know for some of us, we, we love, you know, we tend to go down there. But friends, I want to say we have to be careful that we, we, we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. We, we, we hold to the things, the points of life. I want to say that if you get the vaccine, praise God. If you don't get the vaccine, praise God. Okay? If you want to use modern medicine, use modern medicine. If you don't want to use modern medicine, don't use modern medicine. But don't make it an issue for someone else. If you want to keep the Sabbath, because okay, we've got some churches that are into Jewish root stuff, you keep the Sabbath. Don't make me keep the Sabbath. Because the Bible gives us liberty on those things. There are things that are non-negotiable, but those things, there's freedom in Christ in those things. We're not a church that emphasizes that. We emphasize Jesus and what it means to grow in him and be a healthy church. All right. And that's a sign of maturity in the faith. Um, as we read Ephesians 4, that we're not drawn here and we actually lose sight of Jesus. Number, that's number one. Number two, signs of maturity. Philippians 3 verse 12 to 15 is a lifelong pursuit of Jesus. Philippians 3. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. And it says this. Um, not, it's, he's speaking about, not that I've already obtained this in verse 12. What is the this that he's speaking about? When he says this, he goes back. He's speaking about his relationship with Jesus, with knowing God by faith. In him, And he's speaking about that. Not I've, I've already obtained this, or I, I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. I'm going to stop there. And he says that a sign of maturity is being a lifelong learner and saying that I haven't yet arrived. I am a pursuer of Jesus till the day I die. That is a sign of maturity. If you think, well, I've arrived, you're not mature. That's the irony of maturity. You think like, I'm now mature in the Lord. Uh, well, according to Paul, a maturity is this, this dissatisfaction where you are, and it's an ongoing pursuit of Jesus, that even if you're 90 you know, and you're in the service, and you think, well, I've, you know, I've raised my hands, I've done all those things, you know, I want to be on my wheelchair when I'm 90, maybe, from, and I want to be spinning around in the front, you know, like with my, my, my cane in the air, you know, like I just don't care, you know, like those kind, of, you want to be just worshiping God, like, I want to be growing in the faith, I want to be reading my Bible and learning revelation and being, being able to learn from other people. And being a lifelong learner. And Paul's attitude here is one is that he's a learner. He says, not that I've arrived. 
not that I've obtained, not that I've arrived in my relationship with Christ, but I press on. But I press on in Jesus, and I'm a pursuer of Him. And um, I want to ask you, you know, is this something for us that we keep doing? Like, Lord, I'm going to be a pursuer of Christ till the day I die, and I'm going to be a learner till the day I die. Yes, I'm going to have some views on things, and I can be strong on things, but actually I keep it with an open hand. And Lord, if you want to shift some of those things, Father, I'm open to that, and I'm willing to, for you to change me in, in you. That's number two, is a lifelong pursuit of Jesus. Third sign of maturity is leaving the past behind. Um, and look what he says in verse 13. He says in Philippians 3, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And so a sign of maturity is not camping in the past. Now, I know I was actually going to preach this in Stellenbosch last Sunday night, but I felt not to because you've got generally 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds who don't think about the past. Their gaze is on the future because there's so much possibility and potential. For those of us who are older, generally, if you even in your 30s or 40s, and especially, I find, when you start hitting your late 40s, your 50s, your 60s, it's very easy to look back in the past and to live in regret. And sometimes go, oh, God, I wish I'd made some other decisions. How many of you, I feel like that sometimes. I know we, we for example, when we, okay, thank you for your honesty, Jason. <laughs> I know, I've, I've, I, there's, I wish, I mean, when I was 32, we, we, when I was 30, we planted in Oatsorn, this church in Oatsorn. And I remember making some mistakes. And I wish I could go back. Part of me, I've often said to the Lord, Lord, even if you want to send us back to Oatsorn, so almost I could just redeem some areas where I just felt like I made bad decisions. I, I, I felt like I didn't represent you well in, in some circumstance. God, and, and there's regret at times. But I, I have to let that go because I know if I dwell there, it's going to actually keep me back from the purposes of God. And sometimes, you know, we can, we can feel like all the sins we've done, or we, the way that we've, we, we, it's, it, it holds us back from what God has called us to. And friends, there has to be this radical reorientation with looking forward into the future and looking forward into what God has. And part of it means believing God enough to forgive ourselves and trust that God can redeem the past. That's for some of you. Do you really believe that God can redeem that? That he could take those lemons, in a sense, as someone once said, and turn it into lemonade. Those things that are bitter and sour, and he can turn it into something sweet. And... Um, but I think for others of us, you know, I know um, we, we long for the past. And we can, if we're not careful, we can be like Lot's wife. And I want to read the scripture to you where we know the story in Genesis 19 where Lot's wife turns to a pillar of salt. She becomes a pillar of salt. And we know the story where the command was given to Lot and to his family when they had to flee this town that was being judged and destroyed. God said to them through the angel... Don't look back. And if you look back, it's kind of, it was a warning, don't look back. And it says here in Genesis 19, 24, let's read and see what happened. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities in the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. What is going on there? <laughs> we don't have time to unpack the whole scripture. But one thing we'll say is like, why was God so harsh for her, you know? Here they're running out of the city. I've often, as a kid, I imagine this of like, she's just 
kind of glance back like that. What, Lord, would you, why would you do such a horrible thing? Like, all she did was she turned back. I mean, she didn't. Is that what she did? That's not what she did. Is actually, if you look at what happened, is that it seems that actually Lot's wife turned back and seemed to go back. That's what's implied in the Hebrew word here. And the word look back, it actually means to gaze back longingly at the past. And you see, she had left her heart behind in Sodom. She had left her heart there. And so as they're fleeing the city, she turned back, wanting to go back, but actually there was something of a longing inside of her to go back to the past. There was a prolonged, intense gazing to go back to what she loved. Friends, and if we have that heart, that attitude, or we spend more time thinking about what was in any context than what should be, that's what prophetic means, to look ahead for a preferred future, to be trusting God for what He's doing to the future. If we look back, in a sense, we'll, we'll become useless in the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus said, if anyone in the kingdom of God puts his hand to the plow and looks back, Jesus said, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're actually not fit if you look back. Now, we can reflect back. It's not wrong to do that. You can, you can consider the past, but if your heart is drawn to the past in a kind of unhealthy way, you'll never grow in God. And a sign of maturity is almost to know how to deal with the past. It's to deal with the hurts of the past. It's to deal with the glory of the past. Um, Adi's got family members. They're from Zimbabwe, and Adi's from Zim. And when we're around some of the family members, um, not a folk, some, some others, they don't speak about Zimbabwe as Zimbabwe. They speak about what it used to be called in the 1970s, Rhodesia. And they would go, oh, we long for the days of... Uh, and they still call themselves Rhodesians. It's like, my blood boils when I hear that. I have to contain myself, keep saying, do you realize you're not in Rhodesia anymore? That country's gone. Deal with reality. You know I live in Zimbabwe, like you're a Zimbabwean. You don't live in Salisbury, you live in Harare. That's what it's called now. <laughs> and friends, sometimes we, we, we lose perspective by it, and, and that's the wonder of the church, where we can have friends around us, leaders around us, that can often say, hey, we're going to draw you in, we can help you, but are you looking forward to what is ahead and what God has for you? that he has a hope and a future. Part of that, even with this congregation, and now this might be me thinking more highly of myself than I ought, so forgive me if I am, please, is that for some of you might be, oh, we long for the days when Mike was leading. <laughs> you know? Why isn't Mike around a little bit more? Please, again, if I'm, being, if I'm thinking more self, more, myself more than I highly, Lord, please. But I want to address it because maybe in some that it, it, that can be a thing. Because we don't like change or we resist change or because, you know, Mo might not be as tall as I am. You know, he might have different, you know, he's, he's different to me. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God we're all not like me. And we've got to now almost just make a decision with the, with the transition of this church to say, today I'm drawing a line. I will not go back. I know when we took over from first, in First Love um, from, from Wellington, some of you were here on the First Love days. I know Johan and Marcel, France and Mercia, Richard and Nelda, obviously Mo and Julie, Debs. 
um, Stephen, Chanel, obviously Skulk. Uh, there's a bunch of you, um, th- yeah, that, that were part of that church. And, and, and I want to thank God that you had the attitude that when we transitioned and Ruan and Ina, we planted, they went to Malkbos, that you went like, you know, when Ruan led this church, I thank God that none of you did that. And that your heart's posture was like, we're getting right behind you, Mike. And I think that's a sign of maturity in the Lord, practically, like the way we do that. And so please, would you do that? Um, maybe you're like, finally, thank God, there's a new leader in this house. <laughs> Love you too, man. <laughs> yeah, but you see, I'm still leading TMT, so you have to say that. <laughs> so, so a sign of maturity is leaving the past behind. Do you trust God enough for that? Um, do you trust him enough? And if you don't, it's like we can trust for God to bring. He can restore, the Bible says, the years the locusts have eaten. Some of you, the devil has robbed you of your past. He's robbed you of a childhood. Some of you have been robbed of, of what should have been. Some of you have been robbed by, you know, that, that you, you should have grown up in a home with good parents. Some of you have, have, have been broken because of just ungodly things that have happened to you in the past. But are you going to stay there? No, we, we're trophies of grace where he leads us on into so much more. Let's not camp there. Paul says, but I, I forget what is behind and I'm pressing forward to what is ahead. The, and the last thing I want to give you, a, a, a sign of maturity, is um, a, a lover of being a lover of God's people. Okay? And I'll just quickly end with that. So number one is learning to discern between what is important and not. And sorry, I didn't give, that wasn't very, I, I kind of gave a very broad thing. I didn't give very good examples on that, but I think you got the gist. Number two is a lifelong pursuit of Jesus, almost this dissatisfaction with where you are. Number three, leaving the past behind. And number four is being a lover of God's people. And I want us to go back to Ephesians 4 verse 13. And um, just look at this a verse here, then we'll, we'll, we'll pray together. And in Ephesians 4.13, just the top part, it's interesting that what it does here in verse 13, it says, till we all attain to the unity of the faith, it mentions two things here, unity and a knowledge of God, knowing Jesus and having a knowledge of Him, right? So that's the other thing in our faith, is that this is eternal life, John says, that we might know Him. And so we're people who know God, we pursue a knowledge of God, but we also have the unity of the faith, then the implication is that leads us to mature manhood. That is a sign of mature manhood. And he unpacks it further, which is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's kind of the implication, the structure of the verse. So the two things are knowing God and having unity with one another. Loving God's people. And I want to ask you that is your heart set on unity? And unity means that you prioritize not just a relationship with God, but that I'm prioritizing a relationship here to work for unity. Unity doesn't come while we have unity in Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews, I think it's in 12, it says, pursue peace with everyone and the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. And I found over my years as well in church is like, friends, if we don't pursue peace, if we don't work at the unity of the faith, if we don't learn to love one another, then actually we don't get the kind of unity God would want. And sometimes that means you laying down certain of your preferences for the sake of the body or certain of your ideas for the body. And, you know, some of you have come into church, for example, you might be new in this congregation, 
And you might be coming in thinking, well, you know, I've got all these ideas that I would love to I would love to change this congregation, maybe. Or I'd like to add something here. You know, this congregation needs to learn about the Jewish feasts, for argument's sake. Um, I might be being very foolish right now, okay? And you might be about the Jewish feasts. And you say, I'm going to come and I want to teach. This congregation knows nothing, but I'm going to join and I'm going to teach them. I'm going to be a teacher in their midst. No, 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 no. You would have to come and lay yourself low if you want to lay down all those things. And then in time, God will birth things in you in a healthy way of what is true and right in the Lord. And often in Josh Jen, we speak about that if you join us and you're gifted, especially if you carry gifting and strong doctrine and ideas and all these things, Andrew often speaks about that you need to come through a narrow door and you need to almost learn how to lay things down in order to come through a wide field. You actually have to lay your life down. And we want to promise you that if you join us, this is what we ask you to do, come and die. We're not going to give you ministry. We're not giving you platform. You come and die. You come lay your life down. You come and learn. Um, I remember when, um, and you might say, but Mike, that's not, no, because it's actually when we're in that place, God binds us together in Jesus, and then God births a ministry. We births the giftings in you. But sometimes you've got to start by laying it down. And we find that too many people come into church looking for profile, looking for platform, looking for a voice, you know, and especially those who are gifted. I remember a good friend of mine, when he joined a, a church in Port Elizabeth, I think it was actually Andrew, and he joined this New Covenant church, and he said to the pastor, you know, I would have been a pastor in my previous church, he said to him. What ministry are you going to give me? He said to uh, Tom Tapping, the, the pastor of the church that he joined in Port Elizabeth. Andrew was young, I think it was like 22. What, you know, I'm, I'm a man of God. I've, I've already preached to thousands. I'm gonna, you know, what ministry are you going to give me if I join your church? And uh, he said to Andrew, uh, I'm going to give you the ministry of serving tea. <laughs> you can just serve the tea. And he says, I don't care if you, if you Pope John Paul III. I don't care if you are, you know, Benian's brother or something, or you are so-and-so, or you, you know, you come from the line of David, or, you know, that's your line. Like, I don't care. You come and you serve like everyone else. And if you do that well, and if God has called you, he will raise you up. And that gifting will be obvious for to see your gifting will make a way for you. And that's the way we work as a church. We guard the unity of the faith. We don't just allow, we, we work these things through. And part of it means a posture of the heart where we give ourselves in and we lay our lives down. And that's what Philippians 2 says, that a sign of this is that I'm not thinking of myself more highly than I ought, but I'm thinking of others as more significant than myself. And the way we work it out in the body is we've got to almost posture our hearts the whole time. It's like, God, how can I love other, someone else? How can I posture myself to honor them and to see them exalted and lifted up? Um, friends, when we get these things right, we, we attract the favor and the presence of God in just a profound way. That is the kind of church that we call to be. Uh, and that's how we work out what it means to love one another. Um, this isn't, yeah, so let's stop there. You know, what I love about church is that we, there's a lot of often disagreement in church life. There's often conflict. I'm probably going to get it now after the service. Some of you might come and say, well, when you said about the vaccines, what did you mean? <laughs> yeah, what did you... <laughs> you know, we, we've got to be very careful, friends, that in, our, in being spiritual, um, that we also learn how to navigate these things in a way that we are... We don't, there's also some common sense that we use in these things. And I know... Oh, sorry, I'm going to get... 
Yeah, and I think, you know, as being a charism- in a charismatic church, I got saved into a charismatic church that was very religious in some ways, you know. They would use language that was like, if you came in, you were like, what? You know, what does it mean to be washed with the blood of the Lamb? And I had to learn how to, you know, to change my language, in a sense, to reach people where they are, to learn how to be supernaturally natural, and naturally supernatural. I had to learn how to come down to the level of people to reach where they are. And, and, and that although I'm a citizen of heaven, I'm still living on the earth, and I've got to deal with the things on the earth. Um, so, yeah. And so, so I want to pray for you as we close, and just pray for God's, um, the Lord's blessing on your life. Um, yeah, come Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord, this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.